Thank you. Uh, you guys are awesome. Great, great song. I was putting the message together this week, and that song came to mind, and so I started singing it. And then James said, let us do that, bro. I said, God bless you, man. But anyway, awesome, awesome songs. So if you've got a Bible, Luke chapter 17 is where we are this morning in our text, and we'll read it together here in just a moment. But if you're visiting, we've been going verse by verse through Luke's gospel, and right now we're in a series just entitled, Keep Your Eyes Open. Keep Your Eyes Open. So Luke chapter 17. So as you're opening up your Bible this morning, I just want to go ahead and make it abundantly clear what Jesus wants to teach us, all right? Jesus is teaching you and I as his disciples, that we should live in such a manner as to lead others to faith in Jesus and help others mature in their relationship with Christ. Amen? So Jesus has called you and I as disciples to live in such a manner to help others come to know Christ and to help others mature in their faith. Now, in order for you and I to live in such a manner, we have to keep our eyes wide open for stumbling blocks things in our life that would keep individuals from seeing Christ in us or things in our life that would keep us from being used to our full potential to help others in the body mature in their relationship with the Lord. Now, the entire epicenter of this particular passage is predicated upon what Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 17 and verse 1. He more or less says it this way, it's inevitable that stumbling blocks are going to come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck than for you to cause a little one to stumble in the faith. And so here Jesus encourages you and I, and really does, he challenges us to make sure we are keeping our eyes open for stumbling blocks. Now, throughout Luke chapter 17 and verse 3, he says, beware, pay attention to your life. And then he begins to magnify some stumbling blocks that could very well be in your life as well as in my life. And a couple of those stumbling blocks we already looked at last week, but we want to go ahead and talk about them a little bit this morning. Uh, one of those particular stumbling blocks was the stumbling block of bitterness. Now, these are real rocks, and you should be impressed that I can just move them like that. Uh, bitterness is more or less the attitude whereby you hold a grudge against someone who has done you wrong. And the Bible teaches that bitterness is like a root in your life. And whenever that root is there, it produces a tree, and that tree has fruit on it. So if you hold on to bitterness, you will find that fruit will begin to show up in your life that is unchristlike, that is unbiblical. You will find yourself easily angered. You find yourself having malicious thoughts. Slander will be the norm in your life. Gossip will be the norm. In fact, you'll find yourself using abusive speech on many occasions, especially in the context of talking about the person that you are bitter toward. So bitterness is a stumbling block. When you have this in your life, or I have it in my life, it keeps people from seeing Christ in us, but it also keeps us from being used to our full potential to help others grow in their faith. So bitterness, Jesus says, if somebody comes to you and asks for forgiveness, you forgive. If they come and they have done something against you individually, forgive them. How often should we forgive? Jesus says in the text seven times. In Matthew's gospel, he says seven times 70. The point is, you and I as followers of Christ live with a forgiving spirit toward all people. We're going to be done wrong. Amen? So we've got to be prepared to respond how God responds when we've done him wrong. We have an attitude of forgiveness. Don't hold on to bitterness. It's a stumbling block. Jesus then moves into the second stumbling block in our life, and that's the stumbling block of doubt. 
Doubt is not trusting in God's ability to work through every situation in our life, even when we're done wrong, to make us more like him and to use that situation to empower us to be greater witnesses for his name's sake. So whenever we're bitter, we find ourselves very quickly doubting God. And whenever we begin to doubt God, our prayer lives begin to change. And that moves us over to our third stumbling block. And this third stumbling block is the block of bargaining with the Lord. All right, bargaining with God. So whenever we doubt God's ability to empower us to forgive someone who's done us wrong, we find that our prayer life completely changes. We start praying stuff like this. Lord, uh, I'll forgive her as long as you cause bad things to happen to her. I'll forgive. So you're bargaining. And then some people are like, I'll forgive him as long as you cause great things to happen to me. And so when you bargain with God, you actually are living a life of doubt, and your doubt is reflective of the fact that you have a bitter attitude. And all of these stumbling blocks in our life keep people from seeing Jesus in us and also keep us from being used to our full potential to actually help others mature in their faith. So if these stumbling blocks are yours, then the Bible teaches that you should repent of them, offer forgiveness to those who have done you wrong, and live a life of faith and a life of obedience in God's commands. All right? So this is what's taught so far in our text. Now, what's unique is that Jesus now uh, begins to teach us in Luke chapter 17 about a fourth stumbling block that we've got to watch out for. And that fourth stumbling block is a stumbling block of ungratefulness. All right? So check that one out ungratefulness. An ungrateful attitude is the attitude that never gives thanks to the Lord for what he's done in your life, what he's doing through your life, or what he's doing around your life. And many people have an ungrateful attitude. An ungrateful attitude shows itself and expresses itself in an attitude of uh, basically complaining, griping, negativity, and so you live your entire life always griping, always complaining, always finding the worst about a, a matter and griping on it. You know anybody like that? Point at them. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, you, you know those people, right? You could be those people. And so Jesus does. He challenges us to make sure we don't live with this ungrateful heart. Now, what's amazing is that when we study the New Testament, there are two types of individuals who actually possess an ungrateful heart. One of those individuals is a religious person. So you follow the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, and you'll discover very quickly that these particular people are not grateful toward God. And the reason that they're not grateful is very simply because they live by a works-based system. So they think that every single thing that they do in life earns the favor of God. All right? So they're, they're working hard at it. They get a paycheck of favor from the Lord, and they think they deserve it. It's kind of like this. Think about your paycheck, right? You got paid. How many of you went back to your employer and said, thank you for the paycheck? Well, you don't say thanks for the paycheck because you feel like you worked to earn it. That was the same attitude that these religious leaders had. And I love what Chuck Swindoll says uh, concerning an ungrateful attitude. He says it like this. What could be a greater stumbling block than a Christian with an ungrateful attitude? What could be a greater stumbling block than a Christian with a spirit of entitlement? He goes on to say, how much more attractive is a child of God who is grateful for all that God is doing in their life? So you see, religious people have this kind of attitude. But also, you study the New Testament. I've not seen this before until I was studying for this message. But there are actually unbelievers, the Bible says. Unbelievers have an ungrateful heart toward God. 
Romans chapter one, Paul, pretty dynamic, is teaching about the existence of God. And here's basically what Paul's getting at in Romans chapter one. He just says, hey, God has declared to the whole earth that he exists. It's like, how do he do that? Through creation, all right? So creation declares his existence. You see creation, you know there is a creator. But then he says in Romans one and verse 21, although they knew God, they understood that he existed. They believed that there probably was some power out there. Here's what he says. They did not honor him, nor give him thanks. They did not honor him, nor give him thanks. So you think about that. The pagan, the person who denies the existence of God, the unbeliever, the individual who denies uh, God's work in their life or totally rejects God altogether, they live an entire life of ungratefulness toward the Lord. They don't honor him, and they don't give him thanks. So now think about that for just a moment. If we have two groups of individuals, the religious people as well as those who are unbelievers, who have an attitude of ungratefulness toward God, how are Christians going to look any different than a lost pagan world if they have the same kind of attitude? So what the scripture does is it challenges you and I to make sure that we have grateful attitudes toward the Lord and what he is doing in us through us and all around us. So whenever I begin to study this text, I'm like, all right, Lord, I wanna have a grateful attitude. I wanna have a grateful heart toward you. I need some help with that. So ultimately the Lord uses Luke chapter 17, uh, verses 11 through 19, really just to outline what a grateful attitude looks like and how you can possess one, how I can possess one. And we can, check this out, get rid of these stumbling blocks that keep people from seeing Christ in us and keep us from being used to our full potential to help others grow. So we want to know how to have a grateful attitude. Y'all down with that? Say yes. All right, so let's notice what the text says. So stand with me in honor of God's word. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11, right there in your Bible. While Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered and said, well, they're not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Uh, was no one found to return to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go, and then check this portion out, your faith has made you well. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Use it in our life to teach us as disciples how to live grateful lives. God, we want to make sure as your followers that we have no stumbling block in our life that causes others to be entrapped, that causes others to turn away from you. And so, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that if there are some, that we would remove them through repentance and faith and that you would replace in us a heart of absolute gratitude for who you are and for what you're doing. Now, I pray that you would use your word today to wash us, cleanse us, make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. So you can be seated, all right? So what does a grateful attitude uh, really look like? What does a grateful heart look like? Three major things. First of all, a grateful heart is quick to look back. All right, quick to look back. 
Now, the scene in Luke chapter 17 is pretty clear. Jesus and his disciples are headed down, uh, walking through a village, and then they are stopped by 10 desperate individuals. Verse 12 teaches us that these men had leprosy. Now, leprosy in the New Testament referred to a wide range of skin diseases, not simply what we call Hansen's disease today. However, what we have in this text is evidence that these 10 men had the worst kind of leprosy that you or I could ever imagine. So this is the skin disease that rots away a person's flesh right before their eyes. Now, in my study of this disease, I've learned that it begins with specks on the eyelids and then specks on the palms of the hand, gradually spreading over the entire body, bleaching the hair white, crusting the affected parts with white scales and causing terrible sores and swellings. And from the skin disease, it eats inward all the way to the bones, rotting the entire body one piece at a time. Now, according to the Old Testament, lepers were required to live outside the city or outside of the camp. Those who had the disease were to stay away from others for fear that they might cause others to be infected. And in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, no leper could live inside of a walled town or a walled city. So they had to live outside of the city, often in a village somewhere, separated from all the other people. But wherever that individual was who had leprosy, they were required uh, to do some certain things. They had to make sure they wore an outer garment that had been torn visibly for others to see as a sign of their own grief. They had to walk around bareheaded, that is bald, and they covered their beard with a sheep skin or some other type of animal skin. And then when someone walked upon the scene, it was their duty, all right, their duty to fall down on the ground, turning away from that group of people, covering themselves and screaming uh, as loud as they can, unclean, unclean. All right? So this was the life of the leper. When I was studying Jewish history concerning this disease, I actually found out that when a person contracted leprosy, they would have a funeral for the person before they ever actually died. So the idea here is that a person with leprosy, according to society, is a dead man walking. And that was the picture. These 10 lepers were out in the village, and then Jesus approaches the scene. Now, what's unique about this is that the lepers don't do what they're supposed to do, all right? They're supposed to be shouting, unclean, unclean, so Jesus and his disciples can walk on the other side of the road and avoid them at all costs. But that's not what they do. Instead, the Bible tells us in verse 13, they shout uh, from their voices, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. See, they desired for Jesus to show some pity on them. They were calling out for a healing in their lives. And these 10 men had gathered together as leopards, uh, most likely for moral support. And that was the case, right? Whenever you had a disease like this in that particular day and age, what would happen is you actually would gather together with people who were in the same condition. And you would be there for moral support, for encouragement. And then sometimes you would just be there so you could have somebody to gripe and complain with. And that's what these 10 lepers were doing. They spent their time together out there outside of the city gates. But you can imagine their conversation, right? Because they had heard about what was going on. They had heard about the person Jesus, heard that perhaps this could very well be the Messiah. They began to recount and talk about in that group of 10, all that Jesus had done. They heard about how Jesus touched a blind man and caused him to see. Heard about how Jesus touched a man who couldn't hear and made him hear. 
Heard about how Jesus touched a man who couldn't talk and made him talk. Heard about how Jesus touched the coffin of a dead guy and caused him to come alive. Most likely, they also heard about the story how Jesus embraced a person with leprosy, Luke chapter 5, and caused him to be set free from the disease. So they were hearing about Jesus. They were talking about him. You can imagine how fired up they were when they found out he was walking down the street where they were. So as they approached, the reason they didn't shout, unclean, 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 is because they knew Jesus had the power to do something in their life. So they said, Lord Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And I love the text of Scripture because there's no doubt it reminds us that the Lord hears our prayers like that, doesn't he? How many times have you been in your walk with the Lord and you're just like, Lord, help me. Have mercy on me. Revive my family. Help my job situation. Get me out of this financial problem. Help me here in this marriage. Help me with my children, my prodigal. Lord, just have some mercy. You ever prayed like that before? Just call it. It's like you don't even hardly know what to say, but you just know enough to shout out to God for some help. Some of you came to church this morning like that. I see it. You're just like, Lord, have mercy on the city. Here's, here's great news for you if that's your heartbeat. You know what the good news is? Anybody want good news? Say, yeah. The good news is the Lord hears you. Right. That's the good news. So he hears every single prayer you utter to him. And it's pretty awesome. In fact, verse 14 stamps that down for us in our minds. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. This is interesting, right? In Luke chapter 5, Jesus reaches out. He embraces a person with leprosy. Leprosy falls off of them. But these 10 guys, he's like, go show yourself to the priest. All right, so the question is, what's up with that? Why do they need to go show themselves to the priest? Well, in the Old Testament, we actually discover that the law of God taught that if a person had leprosy and they were cleansed of leprosy, they had to go to the priest in the temple and he would verify their cleanliness I'm so glad I didn't have that job. Can I get a witness, right? It's like, I'm already a germaphobe. I can't imagine this dude's like, I had leprosy, man. Check me. No, thank you. All right. But anyway, he would check to see if he had leprosy, and then if he was cleansed, he would offer up all of these particular sacrifices, and I've already preached on that, so I won't talk about that today, but he would offer up all of these sacrifices declaring his cleanliness, and then, check it out, he would be reinstated back into society as well as back into the very place he had been ostracized from, which was the temple. So they heard Jesus say, go show yourselves to the priest. So they would have understood what was going on. And the Bible teaches that they obeyed the voice of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Immediately they turned to go to the very place they'd been ostracized from. And as they turned, the Bible says a miracle happened right before their eyes. Verse 14, as they were going, they were cleansed. Now you've got to imagine what the scene must have been like. I mean, these 10 lepers were always hanging out with one another. And they began to see the effects of this disease this leprosy causing their skin to rot off of their body. But as they turned to go towards the temple, the Bible says they were cleansed. So immediately they start looking at each other. It's like, good night. I never knew you looked so good. Huh? Look, I didn't, had no idea what you, you're clean. And then they begin to check themselves out. They, they look at their hands. They look at their arms. They start to look at their feet. I'm clean. Look at this. Totally set free. 
So they're headed towards the temple, already fired up, and then they begin to imagine all of the things that they now are going to get to do that they thought they were going to miss out on. So they'll be like, I get to go home and hug my wife again. I get to go and walk my daughter down the aisle. I get to go and grab and hold my son once again. I get to go back to work. Maybe not that one. (laughs) But you can see them, man. They are high-fiving each other, all right? I know you guys watched the movie Top Gun on one occasion. You remember this? I'm asking you a question. Don't act spiritual, Top Gunners. Y'all remember uh, Goose and Maverick after they would volleyball and spike it on somebody? Boom, boom. You remember that? Five. Lepers made that up. It's from the Greek New Testament. They're fired up, man. Notice verse 15. The Bible says, though, although they were fired up with joy, something unique happened. One of them, all right, check that out. You see your Bible? One of them, the Bible says, when he saw that he had been healed, check it out, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. Now, the gospel writer Luke magnifies the actions of only one man in the group of the ten, whose joy over the miracle led him to experience a gratitude like he had never experienced before. And the first action of the grateful heart was that he turned back. He had a question burning in his soul when he saw his cleanliness. And the question was, where is my healer? Where is Jesus? So he looked back. The Bible says, gave honor and glory to God with a loud voice. And the word uh, for loud is the word megas, where we get the English word mega. So this newly changed man gave the Lord a mega shout of praise and glory because of what had happened to him, to God in Christ. See, the grateful heart is always quick to look back to Christ and give a shout of praise to him for all that he is doing. Now, you may be in the house today and you're like, man, I've not experienced that kind of uh, praise, but I've never been healed of a disease like leprosy where I can get all fired up about it. Well, let me, let me share something with you. This is pretty unique, right? The human race is suffering from a much greater disease than leprosy. And that disease is sin. We're born with it. We come pre-programmed with it. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. We are born, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, as children of the wrath of God. So we are walking under the wrath of God, and we deserve eternal separation from God in hell. Check it, because of our uncleanliness. See, the disease of leprosy, it eats the skin all the way to the bone. The disease of sin eats the soul all the way to eternity. So it separates us from God, but God saw us in our state. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches that before sin entered into the world, God already had a solution for it. So Jesus Christ came, born of a virgin, to ensure his purity, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, and there on the cross, God the Father treated Jesus Christ the Son as if he had committed every sin of every person who's ever breathed the breath of life. Jesus bore in his body the penalty for our sin disease. He was buried and resurrected. So check this out. You may not have been cured from leprosy. And if you have been, I trust you, all right? Don't come show me anything, all right? But if you've come to know Jesus Christ personally, you have been radically changed by his grace. So how in the world could you have an ungrateful heart after all God has done for you? 
You, you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't somehow get a paycheck from the Lord of salvation. It was a grace gift by Almighty God whom you and I did wrong through our sin. We wronged him, but he offered us unconditional love and overwhelming dynamic grace to change us. That's what we've experienced. How can we be ungrateful? How can we be ungrateful about, listen, anything at all? Now think about it like this. If the only thing God ever did in your life was free you from the condemnation of sin, you still got plenty to praise him for. If God did nothing else in your life, you still got plenty. You're not going to hell, bro. You ought to thank God for that. Sin no longer binds you, ma'am. You ought to thank God for that. You've been free from condemnation. The Bible says in Romans 8, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you've been radically set free, don't be like the nine. Be like the one who says, where is my healer? I want to see him. So we should have grateful attitudes. Now, I was kind of studying this idea of having a grateful attitude this week and ran across some awesome stuff that James McDonald wrote about. He kind of talked about having a grateful attitude in the context of going through school. So he says there's an elementary Thanksgiving, there's a high school Thanksgiving, there's a graduate Thanksgiving. So the elementary Thanksgiving really is the level of thankfulness over the most basic things in life. Hebrews chapter 13 and 15 says, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So this is elementary thanksgiving. It's just you offering up thanks to God for what he's doing in your life. This is what we teach our kids, right? So Chris and I have those four children. Y'all remember them? Ask the question. Y'all remember those four kids, right? You know what we teach them how to do? Say thank you. So if we go over to somebody's house and somebody gives them something and they don't say thank you, we pull them off to the side, don't we? We smack them around a little bit. That was a joke. We don't actually do that in front of people. <laughs> but what we do is we encourage them. Like, you need to go back and say thank you. You need to make sure you say thanks. Say thanks for letting them come over. Thanks for the food. Thanks for this. Thanks for that. Make sure you say thanks. Listen, that's elementary thanksgiving. You and I as followers of Jesus Christ just need to learn to say thanks to the Lord. I love what one uh, preacher said. It's like, you don't have anything to be thankful for? Did you wake up this morning? Are you breathing right now? You got plenty to praise the Lord for. So that's elementary. Then we kind of go a step further. We go into high school, don't we? Y'all, we just skipped middle school. Y'all down with that? Middle school was a rough time in my life. <laughs> but I thank the Lord for it. <laughs> High school level of thanks is where we thank God in everything. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, all right, in what? Everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So check that out. It is the will of, somebody's like, what's God's will for my life right now? Give thanks. That's his will. Have a grateful attitude. And this is the act of looking away from that which is negative and spending time on thanking God for what is happening, those positive things in life, right? That's pretty interesting here too, all right? This high school level is what grade I'm in. I just realized that this week. Now, I know y'all wished your pastor was in graduate level, but I'm having to repeat some grades. Y'all all right? So I, I uh, was um, ungrateful last weekend. Can I tell y'all like that? So I was like, well, why in the world are you ungrateful? And Krista will vouch for me on this. Krista's my wife. 
So three services last Sunday, I preached my face off. Y'all remember that? <laughs> Honestly, I can barely remember it either. But anyway, so I, but I preached my face off. Nobody responded. Three services. Nobody came forward for salvation. Nobody came to join the church. Nobody even uh, came forward in repentance to get right with God. So the, the Sunday was over. I'm like, what in the world? That was horrible. Right? Stinks. Lord, I was up there preaching like crazy. Why didn't you bring somebody? So before I know it, I'm discouraged, griping about it, complaining about it. Y'all all right? Y'all look like you act like that. Yes, I do. Right. I've come a long way, by the way. All right? Just telling you. Used to so bad, I would go home and get into bed. All right? That's problems. All right? So I'm, you know, doing better. I probably shouldn't have shared that with y'all. <laughs> y'all are like, this guy's... Y'all are visiting, right? You're like, this guy's the pastor? <laughs> but here's the deal. Uh, I had this sorry attitude. Then I come into the office on Monday morning. Monday's the day I write the message for the upcoming Sunday. And I sit down and begin to read the next text. <laughs> all right, Lord. I hear you. You know what I'm saying? Maybe all of that just to teach your preacher to be thankful in every circumstance. All right? So you go from elementary to high school, and then you go to your graduate level. And I love the graduate level because that's in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he lays it out like this, giving thanks always for, check this out, all things to God. So it's not just give thanks in everything, but give thanks for every single thing that happens. Now, in order for you to be in the graduate level and me to be in the graduate level. We've got to hold on to the promises of the Bible, right? Because every single thing that happens in our life, are we fired up thankful for that? Of course not. But if we hold on to Romans 8 and 28, that says very simply, and I love the text, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purposes. So here's the deal. Every single thing in your life, everything that touches you, every circumstance, every difficulty, every trial, every heartache, every bonus, every great time, all of this goes through the filter of the sovereign hand of God before it ever touches you. And God has so designed our life that he uses every single situation to shape us and to mold us so that we can better represent Christ on the earth and cause others to know Jesus and grow in Christ. So everything going on. So if we, now here's the deal. If we're going to have graduate level thanksgiving, we got to think with the end in mind. All right. Jesus is using everything in our life to grow us and to cause us to have a platform to give him more glory. So every single thing, so we know that side of it. Therefore, when we are in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the heartache, the only way we can thank God for the trial is because we can see it, it has an end result. So some of you are all up in the building this morning. You're like, my life stinks. Everything's going wrong. Hey, here's the question, all right, for the graduate level. Are y'all listening? Say yes. Here's the question. Have you thanked God for that trial? Have you said, Lord, the trial itself, royally not digging it, all right? 
But I see, Lord, that you use everything uh, to cause me spiritual maturity so I can reach more and I can invest in more. So, Lord, even in the midst of this trial, and I can't even see the outside of the trial, I'm going to thank you for it because you are sovereign and it didn't touch me without your permission. I mean, either God is sovereign or he's not. So we've got to have a grateful attitude. So I would ask you this morning, good night. It's a long sermon, ain't it? But I ask you, are you being grateful? Have you got before the Lord and just said, thank you? Have you, check it, looked back and said, where is my Redeemer that I might praise him? All right, two more things. i got to give these to you quick, though, before y'all go to Sunday school. Y'all with me say, yeah? All right, so here we roll. Second, when a grateful heart is quick to get low. The Bible says in verse 16, he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. So the idea here is that the newly cleansed man laid down prostrate on the ground to offer up thanks to Jesus for what he had done. I believe this might be the doctorate level of thanksgiving. Think about that for just a moment. He laid down prostrate. That means you got on your face before Jesus, grabbing hold of his heels, and he was not just like, thank you, but no, no, repeated praise, repeated thanksgiving. Thank you for what you have done. I deserve none of this, but thank you for your healing. That's the attitude, prostrate. Let Let me ask you that question, all right? Have you laid prostrate before the Lord in thanksgiving? On your face? Somebody's like, on your face, why would we do that? That's Pentecostal. Here's the deal. Some people are more worried about looking Pentecostal than looking thankful. You read the New Testament, man. Those people who are touched by Jesus, they got on their faces. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. So you get low. It's a sign of humility. You didn't deserve it. You don't deserve what God's done you. Look, none of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve sanctification. None of us deserve heaven. None of us deserve Almighty God who created the universe just through his spoken word, who's now uh, intricately involved in your life and in my life. Who are we that God would be mindful of us? That he would be concerned with our well-being. He would be concerned with how we grow. Who, who are we? And yet God does how humble we should be getting before the Lord. Talks about how he's a Samaritan. Most likely all other nine were uh, Jewish individuals. They don't have known that, man, it's time to give glory to God. All right? But they didn't show up. One guy who's a Samaritan, man, that would have made the uh, uh, Jewish disciples of Jesus wince. They'd be like, Samaritan? They weren't big fans of the Samaritans, all right? They were uh, considered half-breeds in that culture because of mixed uh, relationships between Jewish individuals and Gentile individuals. And Samaritans came out. They're like, man, those people are like dogs. And yet this dog showed back up at the feet of Jesus. Thank you for your healing. You can see it there in verse 17. Jesus is like, were there not ten cleansed? The nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now, this is huge, right? Holy cow, man, you got to listen to this, all right? Let's do a little mathematics. Y'all with me on the math? It's 10 people, one person comes back. How many percent of the people came back and gave thanks to God? Somebody shout it out. 10%, all right? 10%. So now I take that same mathematical paradigm and drop it down on our fellowship. How many people are really giving thanks to God? 10%? 
How how embarrassing would that be if only 10% of our fellowship really gave thanksgiving to the Lord, had an attitude of gratitude? Now, whenever I start thinking about it, I get a little bummed out. Y'all with me on that one? And so here's the deal. Instead of thinking about the 10%, here's what you should do. Make sure you're a part of that percentage that is giving thanks to God. So if you're in here this morning and you've got an ungrateful heart, start getting low and thank the Lord for what he's done in your life, what he's done through you, and what he's doing around you. Last thing, a grateful heart is lifted up. A grateful heart is lifted up. He said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, this is wild, right? Because uh, he's like, your faith has made you well. Uh, hello. He's already been made well. So, so why is Jesus now saying, your faith has made you well? It's like redundant, right? And the other nine, they were made well. So this means something deeper is happening to this man. Something deeper. His attitude of graciousness and thanksgiving towards the Lord was in some form or fashion, supernaturally used by God to cause him to live on a higher level than those who were ungrateful. I don't know about you, man, but I, I was like, if, the, if there's a higher level to walk the Christian life, sign me up on that one, all right? So what is the higher? It's, it's a grateful attitude. It's a grateful attitude. And that's what he says to the leper. He's like, hey, stand up and walk. Your faith has made you well. So check this out. Those who have genuine faith in God, I mean, multiplied trust in the Lord, are always thankful for every single situation. And because of their thankfulness, God says, your faith has made you well. Even in the midst of your trial and difficulty and circumstance, I'm going to raise you up and cause you to be well on the inside. Some of you need that this morning. Can I say it like Jesus did to the Pharisees? The outside of the cup is clean, but the inside is stained. Now, it's pretty amazing when you begin to look at these stumbling blocks up here. So let me come back to them before I shut this uh, message down. Are y'all with me? Say yeah. So here's, here's something that I feel like the Lord's teaching me, which is pretty awesome concerning these stumbling blocks. All right. So over here on this far one, we've got an ungrateful attitude. Person's always griping, always complaining, always uh, looking at negative things. Just got a sour, sorry attitude, all right? But he claims to be a Christian, right? So he claims to know the Lord, but he got this sorry attitude. Here's, here's what we discover. When you have a bad attitude, it actually changes how you pray. So when you have a bad attitude towards the Lord, you know what you begin to do? You begin to pray in such a manner that it doesn't really honor God. Those who are bargaining with God are giving evidence they have a bad attitude. Those who are bargaining with God are actually giving evidence that they're living a life of doubt instead of a life of faith. They don't believe God can give them the ability to be a forgiver and a lover of those who treat them wrong. And so here they are now with doubt in their life. And then typically the reason that doubt is there in this scenario is because of a bitter heart. You're still holding a grudge against someone. Now let's uh, back it all up again. Y'all with me say yeah? Now here's the crazy thing. You just take the backside of these uh, words, all right? So what's the opposite of an ungrateful attitude? Somebody say it out loud. Grateful attitude, all right? So if you have a grateful attitude, here's what you've realized. I deserve nothing from the Lord, but he gave me grace in Christ, and he continues to work, and I give him thanks. And when you have a grateful attitude, your prayer life is radically different. You're not going into prayer trying to twist God's arm like you can. You're not going into prayer trying to get God to do something outside of his divine will, but you go into prayer with an attitude of obedience. You are the master. I am the servant. Let me bow before you and do exactly what you've called me to do. 
And when you have an attitude like that, then it leads to not a life of doubt, but a life of absolute faith. You're totally trusting in God, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, that God is going to use every single thing, every single thing in life to grow you in your relationship with him. That even means God uses people who do you wrong to shape you. Y'all aren't out there. That means you can't have bitterness in your heart. Instead, you have forgiveness toward other people. And the reason that you have such a life of forgiveness is because you, you remember that right way down there when you were still a sinful leper on your way to hell. But God forgave. He forgave me. Therefore, I have to, all right, have to forgive other people. But if I don't, I'll have these stumbling blocks. And Jesus is like, woe to you. Woe to you. Judgment upon you if stumbling blocks come through your life. If you have bitterness, you have doubt, you have uh, what's going on down here, bargaining. If you have an ungrateful attitude, if these things are in your life, Jesus is like, woe to you. It'd be better if a millstone was tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you, because of these rocks, cause another person to stumble. Now imagine it like this. And I'm only going to take these rocks and stack them up. But if you have these stumbling blocks in your life, and let's just say we added the other two, and I'm standing here and these other two rocks are in front of me, guess what? You can't see. You can't see Christ in me. It's hidden. It's blocked. If you're there and all of these stumbling blocks in my life, these attitudes of ungratefulness and bargaining with God and doubt and bitterness, if all of this is stacked up in front of me, you who are followers of Christ, I can't even be used to full potential because of these rocks in the way to help you grow in your faith. And not only that, but when these rocks are here, I'm not allowing you to help me. So we think about the message this morning in a nutshell. The question will be, do you have stumbling blocks in your life? Because Jesus says, as my disciples, your entire intent is to help others know me. Your entire intent is also to help others grow in their faith in me. But if you've got these things here, get rid of them. Amen? Yes, Let's bow together. Father, speak to hearts even now. Help us root out stumbling blocks from our life. And then help us to keep our eyes wide open for when stumbling blocks try to sneak back in and take control. Help us, Lord, help us.